<laughs> Welcome everybody to Fright Night. For real. Ah, I'm just kidding. Hey everybody, it's Video Night. It's our special episode we do every Halloween. We get a few guests on and they discuss the perfect Halloween playlist. What they think is the best stuff to suggest for you to watch this Halloween. Uh, this episode, I got my co-host, my, my best buddy when it comes to podcasting. I'm so lonely. He's my only friend. Um, <laughs> he is my co-host from Back in Tunes. Uh, we have done many episodes of Video Night together, so you probably uh, heard his voice and his imitations and stuff like that. We're are goofing around. A lot different atmosphere than when we do the episodes with Andrew. Uh, Jacob, introduce yourself. Hey, what's up, everybody? Yo! You all have trouble with the living? Yo! You all have trouble with the living? You have, you're sick and tired of having your home uh, your, your home being terrified by those pesky living critters, one for all? Oh, God damn it. I'm fucking mumbling. I fucked that what up. What are you time. talking about? What just happened? Did you have a seizure? <laughs> no, I was trying to um, I was trying to imitate Beetlejuice when he's like pushing out that advertisement. Oh, we've come for your daughter. Sorry. <laughs> Like, you know, when he's, like, on the TV and he's, like, making himself known to Adam and Barbara. Oh, I'll scare him real bad. The point is, folks, I'm going to do anything to get your business. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, Jacob. All right. So these episodes are a little bit quicker than the normal video night episode. And I'm yes. going to go ahead and have it tossed over to Jacob where he's going to give you his top ten of Halloween suggestions. Now, we're not going to go every episode with, like, the same stuff. So each episode is going to be slightly different. Some's more PG. Some's old school. Some's, like, 80s. Uh, some is newer independent stuff. Each episode is wildly different. So, Jacob, hit us with your first selection for Halloween. Okay, now, I'll just, I just gotta say, as regarding this list, it did take some thought, because, you know, there's your traditional horror, you know, your scary shit, there's the ones with deep meanings, you know, really thoughtful stuff. And then, of course, you've got the fun side of Halloween, you know, all the kitty ones, all the funny stuff that have that, you know... Make every ones that everyone can enjoy and not traumatize you and give you nightmares at night. You know, guaranteeing that you'll never that you'll never fall asleep again. I just really you know those sniffing. kind of. Why are you sniffing? Are we at a debate? Why are you sniffing, Jacob? Uh, no reason. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. It's it's not California snow. It's not that. <laughs> <laughs> These rails are huge. <laughs> They're tremendous. They're going... <laughs> All right. So I did want to start off. I wanted to go with you know somewhat classic kind of horror movie monsters. And, I mean, it's, it's not like the original uh, Bella Lugosi version, but what it is is the uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula We're by Francis Ford Coppola with Gary Goldman. Yeah, yeah, the 1992 highly underrated. Uh, at the time, um, I, I have never seen such a division in love-hate on a movie. There are people who just like, this is the greatest horror movie ever made. This is epic. This, and it was huge budget. I don't think I've ever seen a horror movie with a bigger budget at that time. And then there was people like, oh, it's all flash. There's no substance. Keanu Reeves can't do an accent. They've been shooting on Keanu Reeves for 25 years. And then John Wick comes out. And everybody's like, no, no, hold on. Hold on a second. We're, we're going to stop complaining. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. No, I've always loved Keanu Reeves. I just did not like him in that movie. I thought he was miscast. And I think it was originally supposed to be Johnny Depp. It was. But since he and Winona Ryder, you know, split horribly... That kind of had to go out the door. So well, I know they not got, forever. Yeah. We're going to tattoo that right on my arm. This is a great idea. No, it's not. Now it says, why no forever? 
<laughs> You're an idiot, Johnny. <laughs> oh, gosh. But honestly, okay, honestly, as much as I love Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves, I thought they were terribly miscast. I mean, yeah, I was a little bit bothered, you know, by Gary Oldman doing the whole, like, you know, Transylvanian, you know, Romanian accent instead of, like, you know, an actual English accent, like, as was portrayed in the novel. But even then, it was a tribute to Bela Lugosi. You know, it, I, that whole movie had so many tributes to each uh, interpretation uh, through film of Dracula. Like, you know, the di- like turning the tears into diamonds, you know, appearing through the window, hypnotizing, you know, Lucy, all that stuff. There was just, uh, there are so many tributes. And then, of course, turning it to rats, which was a tribute to Nosferatu, one of the greatest vampire, one of the greatest vampire films of all time. I, and I've it read was, the book. You read, you've read the novel then. Yeah, it's all just diary entry. And throughout the movie, you know, we hear narrations from, like, most of the characters like Van Helsing. You know, you'll hear some from, like, Dr. Jack Seward, of course, Mina, and uh, Harker, you know, Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Which I think was a huge touch of the book. But I think adding in the origin of, you know, being Vlad the Impaler, you know, Vlad Tepish, was, I think, something just for the movie to kind of give Dracula a little more depth and a little bit more um, sympathy. You know, he became this monster because of the death of his wife. He, the, the Turks were upset because they got their asses handed to him. And they decided to, you know, be, shoot a deceitful letter to Dracula's wife. And then, boom, Elizabetha just kills herself. He comes back, finds out she's not going to heaven because she killed herself. And then decides to just commit the ultimate sacrilege. Stabbing the cross, drinking the blood, and living forever. You know what's funny is, I was, this is probably one of the most perfect portrayals like the most three-dimensional of all the vampires because a lot of time when you see dracula or vampires in general they tend to be just like straight up villains that's it there's no good side there's no tortured side um and i think that they did a magnificent job uh gary oldman you know uh, bringing so many different sides to dracula uh and they tried to remake dracula again a couple years ago i want to say it was dracula rising or something like that where they basically turn him into a superhero who does the same special effect over and over oh you turn into bats you're gonna beat up a bunch of people again all right uh, Dracula Untold, yeah. Dracula Untold is such a waste of time. Uh, very expensive and just boring. Um, this is probably the epitome. I know some people are going to go, blasphemy. Um, you know, if you want the full story, the closest thing to the novel, this is it. Um, I will say I prefer uh, Christopher Lee's version of Dracula. I've never been a fan of I the, was just mention. the Bela Lugosi one. I just I never cared for Right, I know, because that's all he was known for. He was a uh, typecasted. Uh, Bela Lugosi just did not have as much acting reach as you know, someone did like Boris Karloff. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. This like this is the closest interpretation to the novel. It was it, it made Dracula a romantic hero. It really portrayed how he's not entirely you know this evil guy. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's done some evil shit. I'm sure, but you know, fuck, you can't help but feel sympathy for him. It, it's ultimately just a love story. Love however, Sorry, however, the visuals, though, I just can't get enough of looking at those. That, I think, was a huge, huge reason to like this. I can't stop looking at it. Like, from the castle, the costumes, everything. Great Thanos uh, special effects are astounding. When he turns to the wolf beast, I'm like, yeah, give me some more of that. That's awesome. The be- oh, and there's a giant bat creature? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. You're right. Yeah. Oh my god. That was like um, that was actually like one of the most terrifying scenes to do because I remember him. 
Um, throughout the special features, besides Francis Ford Coppola and Gary Oldman kind of arguing, there's this one where he's like dressed up as the bat creature and he, to try and instill that fear, they were blindfolded and he's going around randomly to each one of them, whispering some of the lines, telling them, you know, some of their greatest fears, just to prep them for that scene. And it is pretty freaky. And mean? also, it. Ooh, the storm. Yeah, you know, like hey, somebody, everybody, oh, I want to say this real quick. If you're listening to the episode, you hear a weird sound in the background. It's because we're having a massive storm kick in all of a sudden. The RV shook a little bit. Maybe it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen. We're recording right now. No. <laughs> Damn it. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's okay. You think Jack talking the storm? It's a dog. Does he, he think we're insulting? Yeah. Oh, he's creating. Yeah. He's sailing on the Demeter. He, he's coming for you, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Also, how I like what I also like that how they portray the vampire. You know how they have to they die in the sunlight and this and that. It clearly states that they don't. It's just not their natural time, so they'll be weaker. But it doesn't necessarily kill them where they turn to ash or anything like that, because, you know, that kind of, you know, well, the whole thing about vampires not having reflection or anything like that just doesn't make sense either, but even then. Do do you anyway. like your vampire movies to kind of stick to the mythos, like wooden stakes, you know, maybe, maybe at best like a silver sword, something, you know, I, I, you know, the, the Bible, holy things can damage them. Do you like when it sticks to the rules, or do you like when it manipulates and changes it a bit? I I do like when it uh, changes and manipulates it a little bit. I do like to see something different. I don't like to see some of the campy, cheesy, phony shit. Like, why does it have to be a wooden stake? Why can't it just be any kind of sharp That's fucking true. weapon? It's not like it's <laughs> a Green Lantern. The original Green Lantern is damaged by a wood. Um, I always thought it would be cool. I remember when I used to go to church a lot, I would be sitting there thinking of how to make a, a horror movie, and I was thinking of all the stuff I could use in the church as weapons against vampires, and I was like, what if a vampire was coming at you, and you just took a Bible and you punched him in the face, would you just burn his face off into goo? Would he explode into fire? Just punch him in the face with a Bible. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I know. But, I, uh, oh, God, what I did want to say about the costumes and the set design was, it was more, he, they went with more of like, a, they went to like a graphic designer, and that was a, Eiko Ishioka, who won an Academy Award for that. I like, my God, it was Topps so stunning. Tops, for some reason, they had a ton of money from baseball cards. They decided to start a comic book line. The only thing significant they really did was the Xena and the X-Files comics. Mostly they did licenses. Um, and they did hmm. a adaptation of uh, this movie. And I got to tell you, for a comic book, it was really well designed. Whoever did it must have somehow been involved in the movie. Oh, I know. Like They had to base it off of Eiko Ishioka. Uh, design. I mean, that itself to me was like comic book stuff. It was out there from like the dragon armor to Dracula's like red cloak at the beginning when he has those big old that, that weird man bun thing, that double man bun. Yeah. Oh my god, I know. That was like one of the creepiest moments ever. And then he's when, he, when he's crawling the side of the building, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, it does give you that freaking eerie sense. I was like, Jesus, man, <laughs> right. Ugh. it was we, truly terrifying as a kid. As much as I would love to keep discussing this, uh, we, this episode is going to take two and a half hours. We keep up at this rate. Um, I think it's funny though that people right. embrace this. This was a massive hit, and then two years later they did uh, the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, it's supposed to be like on the same level, and everybody's like, no. No, we're going to go watch Junior without uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and then regret it later. <laughs> yeah, I know. Kenneth Branagh did an amazing job. What's that? Yeah, Kenneth Branagh did an amazing job to try and get it close to the book as possible, especially like coming up with the design of, you know, the cradle for creating, you know, the Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Like, you know, bringing that whole sheen up there, that whole rig, 
Oh, I, I'm going to go with Frankenstein Unbound. When it comes to a Frankenstein movie in the last 20 years, I think that's better. Frankenstein Unbound is a highly underrated Roger Corman movie. Roger Corman? Yeah, it's really good. Jason Patrick's oh. in it. Uh, I want to say Bridget Fonda. It's it's a what if. God, I'm trying to remember now. It's a what if someone went back in time to the point where Frankenstein was created, but he's also hanging out with the actual writer, Mary Shelley, and she's basically doing this as a biography. Uh, it's been a little while since I've seen it, folks. I'm sure you remember it better than I do, but it's it's pretty damn good, especially for a Corman film. Um, what is the next thing on your list? Okay, next thing on my list. I mean, I, it's more to the science fiction genre. But uh, The Fly, the 1986 version with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Well, that's by, the great uh, thing about sci-fi and horror is that they can commingle, and I think some of the best horror movies tend to be ones with sci-fi elements. Look at The Thing, The Blob, and The Fly. All amazing remakes of 50s sci-fi scary films. Ones that were better than the originals. That, gosh, Dave Cronenberg, that's who directed it. I yeah. could not think of the guy's name for a minute. I, yeah, I love his movies. I love The Eastern Promises, History of Violence, and The Fly. It was like his, my top three. When it comes to him, Got oh, you. and well, before that, he did Dead Zone and uh, Scanners. I think Scanners is a great idea and has a great gore moment, but I feel like the lead can act and it's slow as shit. But as you see him work his way up and out of like the low budget Canadian films, uh, you know his peak, in my opinion, is uh, The Fly. After that, it's it's still good. It just doesn't hit that pinnacle for me. No, especially what was it one The Fury, the one with um, uh, gosh Oliver Reed. I can't remember what it was called. But that was a Cronenberg It's about this woman. Yeah, it was a Cronenberg movie where it's like all these little like uh, dwarf demons go around Is killing uh, particular people. No. Like these little dwarves go around killing certain people. And you're, um, you're not thinking of Phantasm. All the rates. <laughs> no. Okay. No, it's not that. Mm-mm. Looking it up. I see. Um, tell me why you love to the fly so much while I try to figure out what movie you're talking about. Is it The Brood? The Brood? Uh, it has to the be Brood, yeah. yeah. Oliver Reed. I've never it, seen that movie. Oh, dude, I thought it was pretty well done. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great. I loved looking at it. I thought, I mean, to me, it seemed to have started out a little slow. But overall, when it, it did really pick up, especially finding out how, what the hell these little things are. I love the whole scientific aspect of it, which is what really attracted me to The Fly, the whole teleportation system. I mean, I saw the original one with Vincent Price. I mean, it was cool, don't get me wrong, but this one was just like on a whole new level. Turned it from, you know, just simply ship, sh- uh, switching parts to a complete genetic metamorphosis. I think the original He's fly is ridiculous not... compared to this one. This one really brings the full idea. I watched the original one. I was like, it's just a guy with a hand and a head. It's so slow. It's so slow. Oh, my God. I know. That's It's so terrifying. It's like, when is this going to be over? That's why you're <laughs> screaming. <laughs> but this, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, you see the character development of Seth Brundle, you know, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. The chemistry between the two is great. I mean, they were actually dating at the time. And, you know, she, he... She, he's basically, you know, changing the world with his invention, you know, going, you know, as the movie's like going on, it's very fast paced and it's pretty short. It's like an hour and a half. You know, most 80s movies were. And it just seeing him like, you know, slowly changing, trying to figure out how to make this machine work and then becoming the fly, you know, the aspects of you know being the first insect politic politician, you know, as he's explaining to Ronnie before she decides to have her abortion because she's afraid of what she's going to give birth to yeah. that. Oh, my God, that nightmare scene. With the fucking little larva coming out of her. Oh, God. She, that's the reason why she didn't want to do the sequel. She could not handle another birthing scene. It terrified the fuck out of her. Well, she oh. was, you know, what's funny is for a brief moment around, I want to say, 93, uh, it was in Fangoria that she was attached to Flies, which was supposed to be Flies, uh, the Fly 3. 
um, which didn't make any sense because she dies apparently giving birth to her son in real life when, at the beginning of part two. Part two is a little underrated because it kind of turns the fly into a superhero. Um, and a lot of people didn't yeah. think it was scary. I kind of liked the second one. But she was t- attached to that in Bad Moon. A lot of people don't realize that she was the first one that cast in Bad Moon, dropped out to do, I want to say, Long Kiss Goodnight, and then that's when Mariel What's Hemingway ended up in it. Mm, okay. Wait. Anyway. Yeah, sorry, that was back to too. Yeah, back to the Sorry. I li- it, it, it overall was like turning into some tragic love story, too. Like, there was so much, you know, about Seth becoming the fly, trying to cure himself. You know, just like constantly twitching, you see him slowly, you know, deteriorating, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to be human again, but ultimately succumbing to it, wanting to become it. Because, you know, with it came so many gifts. He could be on the wall, climb on the walls. He had superior strength. And in the end, he clearly was losing his mind. Like he stated when he was talking to Ronnie, you know, heard of her insect politics. You know, I'm I'm I've become an insect who dreamt he was a man. And now the dream's over and the beast is awake. So if you stay, I'll hurt you. How is it you, you remember? Know. I don't know how anybody remembers lines of dialogue so well. I have just like the scatterbrain. I remember like facts and little details, but when people try to like remember dialogue or song lyrics, I am fucked. You know what the lyrics are to La Bamba? La La Bamba. The rest is. I don't know the rest of the words. I don't. La 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 Bamba. I do this all the time. I don't remember the words to stuff, and I cannot recite a line from a movie. Rarely ever can I do it correctly. Always off by a couple words. Um, this movie, I thought, it's so bombastic. Howard Shore did the music for this movie, and it really helps. But they, they made something that could have been really dull and mundane, so much bigger than life. Each of those three remakes are so wildly different. The thing is kind of uh, intricate and personal. The thing is bombastic and huge. And the blob is just like this kind of fun, popcorn, no-holds-barred uh, bonanza. Mm. And the fly, I thought, it's also like, it, to me, it still really holds up, even though, like, as far as like some of the technology goes, like you know the big old flip phones and whatnot, the old uh, you know wireless phones and whatnot, those big old blocks, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. But I think it was just like so well sophisticated and still so well acted out. You can't help but just like you know feel so sad. You know, again, like I said, a tragic love story, like Romeo and Juliet. You know, I can't fucking stand that one anymore. It's been so overplayed. <laughs> well, it's also about but, disease. Yeah. It's about deterioration, about losing yourself. It's not just about cancer or AIDS. It, it, it could be about Alzheimer's. It could be about any sort of debilitating disease that takes away who you are. It could also be about drugs. That, um, it could be about, you know, how cocaine or any other drug makes you feel like you're on the moon for a while, and then it owns you and destroys you and turns you into something else. I mean, well, look at meth. I know. Let me look what happened to fucking... Uh, not, look, not what happened to meth. Look what happened to Seth. <laughs> yeah, Seth Meth. Seth Meth. He's become a mix between Brundle and Housefly. Oh my god. Ugh. And then the final transformation at the end when he becomes the fly and his jaw rips off and everything. Like, oh god, the special effects were fantastic. That's, that is um, disgusting when his head splits apart and becomes a fly for real. That's disgusting. But the worst is when he grabs his arm with almost glee and barfs under that and he barfs on his foot. Oh my god, I know. It's like, good <laughs> god, it's so freaky. Like, my friends, some of my friends just could not stomach that or watch it. So I'm like, okay, good. Now I know what we're going to watch next horror movie night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is next on our list? Okay, next is on my list was, okay, I'm not, I don't know. I thought this was a highly underrated movie, too. I loved it. Benicio Del Toro did give, like, one hell of a performance into the transformation. But The Wolfman. I mean, I love the original Wolfman. Don't get me wrong. This one, I thought it was a little bit more sophisticated, more updated. I thought it, was, I thought it, had, it did have some more depth to it. 
and a, Danny Elfman did just a fantastic job. There's certain the elements of it that I enjoy. Um, the director's cut is better than the theatrical cut by a long shot. What the problem oh my God, yeah. is on this is that I think it was Mark Romanek was the director. I, I think I might have that wrong. I, um, but he was the director for a really, really long time, and we kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And um, and then Mark Romanek quit, and then uh, Joe Johnston jumped in at the last minute, and he's even admitted to himself that he goes, he didn't take the time to prep, they needed to go, and I just said yes because I needed to pay the bills. So he does The Wolfman, and it, it, it's shot when he wasn't really prepared to do what he wanted with it. So I think it sometimes it's kind of boring. I am sick and tired of Anthony Hopkins. What the fuck is with him in all these movies? He's always in these great monster movies. I don't really like Anthony Hopkins. I know that's sacrilege. Anybody who loves Science of the Lambs, I just don't care for him. True. I mean, yeah, lately he's been in way too many goddamn films. I mean, I loved him as Van Helsing in, uh, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, though, which was great. I thought, again, perfect casting, even with the supporting cast from that movie. But in this, seeing him as, you know, the villain, the reason for... Um, you know Benicio del Toro becoming the Wolfman. I, you could clearly see like the power of being the being a werewolf. Clearly, you know Anthony Hopkins has accepted it and loves it. And he does. I mean, he's trying to show his son the same way, but his son wants no part of it. Yeah, you know he's not like his father. I remember and that, of course, that... I was complaining for a long time because like Benicio del Toro looks like he is so miserable. Like he doesn't enjoy a second of this. Uh, the, the fact that you can turn to a werewolf, and then you realize later, I was like, oh, that's why, because you need the balance between him and his father. If you haven't seen the movie, oops, sorry. <laughs> Tough shit. It's been out for years. They've had all that. They had plenty of time. <laughs> well, yeah, this no, is a playlist I... suggestion, so if you haven't seen them, <laughs> ooh, sorry. Um, but come on. It's not going to ruin the movie. Yeah. These movies are great. Go ahead. No, it isn't. And, I, and I get, again, I love Benicio Del Toro's performance, how they try to convince him that he's not a werewolf, that he's just crazy, They like, you're, you know, seeing him putting him away in the asylum till he finally turns into a werewolf and fucking kills all of them, especially his doctor. I really wanted his physician to die because, you know, practice medicine practice back then. Oh my God. Some, a lot of those people were just so, just so they're fucking asses. Right. I kept expecting Hugo Weaving to be like, um, you're a werewolf now, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yes, I know. It's all just a trick to the matrix. You see a little glitch in the movie. Like what? Deja vu. Motherfucker. I knew it. But yeah, of course, <coughs> Again, it ended the same way. He seemed to have like been regaining some control. He had some balance, and that was Emily Blunt, who, again, everybody I thought gave a wonderful performance. What's next? You know, she was like the voice of reason, and then boom, he's dead. <laughs> um, oh gosh, let's see. Now I'm kind of gonna go into, you know, some of the classics. Mainly, it's a Wes Craven, and it did terrify me for a while. But A Nightmare on Elm Street, the mainly because not. A, yeah, the original. Of course, the original. Well, I didn't know if you what, Well, some people like part three. Some people like the new Nightmare. The new Nightmare is my favorite one. I, I appreciate the original, of course, because the new okay. wouldn't exist without it. But Freddy's Dead is even a lot of fun. But that, the, the, the new Nightmare is the only one that's really scary. Sorry, hold on. The, well, new, Nightmare yeah, the, whole... the, the new Nightmare is the only sequel that's scary. Because that first Nightmare on Elm Street is actually unnerving. It's, it's It gets under your skin. It does, literally. I mean, look what happened to the girl... Um... Like, at the beginning of the scene, you know, just, like, floating around, getting her stomach cut open, and then being slammed around all over the place. Oy. Oy, it was. It was very unnerving. <laughs> that whole series, I think, was just very well done. And because of what Freddy represented, this was after a long while, uh, as my brother made me realize, it's because uh, Freddy Krueger was, he was the, you know, abusive father archetype. That's what he represented. You know, a particular, you know, certain clothing item that, you know, 
that people that you know people who throughout um you know have been abused by their father you know always have to refer you know they see a certain clothing or a certain jacket something they wear that will always make them think of that personal person and you know Fe- freddie had that like fedora and that sweater yeah it's an that, iconic qualities of it but it's, it's more than that it's 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 robert england who yes he did take him over to comical side uh, about halfway through and it kind of destroyed it a little bit for me because it was no longer scary. It was more fantastical. Um, but it shows yeah. you that he was necessary because as much as I love Jackie Early Haley, his version is just like, no, no, this movie's terrible. <laughs> they tried to replace Robert England for the second movie because he was too busy too busy shooting V, the TV series. And they said the guy lumbered around like Frankenstein. He had no finesse. He had no style the way uh, Robert England did. Right, yeah. No, of course not. I mean, yeah, and Jackie Earl Haley, he was definitely more menacing and more terrifying. I will give him that. Yeah, it's oh, just the movie's so boring. It's so boring. Oh, my God. I know. I'm just, I was just waiting for him to kill somebody. I was, on, I was kind of, like, in anticipation, like, Jesus fucking Christ, just kill someone. Kind of uh, terrifying. Because I had to see it in theaters, and it did scare the crap out of me. Well, I'll say this. Uh, the New Nightmare. Sorry, God, why do I keep saying that? Not New Nightmare, people. Rewind. The original Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the first horror movie where they really prepared like, you know, they have they have that prep scene, which you would see later, like, in Lost Boys and other horror movies. I think it's the first time I ever saw the girl, like, she was smart, she was crafty, and she set Freddy Krueger up, you know, uh, once she came into the real world. You know what? No. Like, because in most horror movies, no. Nobody nobody ever prepared. They always just run for their lives, hoping they would, that it wouldn't get them. They're always hiding in the closet or something. But she's like, you know what? She toughened up. She's like, you know what? Fuck you, Freddy. I'm going to kick your ass, you son of a bitch. <laughs> she fought back. She was a strong, she was a strong female character. Yeah, I love Nancy. She's just, so great in that. And it's it's a shame that Heather Legend Camp hasn't had a stronger career. No, oh, no, of course not. Especially like after something like that. But however, like throughout like like you know, throughout movie history, when it comes to like strong fe- when it comes to like, you know, strong characters who fight back in horror movies, she's definitely gonna be up there. Oh, she's yeah. like in top ten easily. And I love the fact they finally brought and, her back for the third one. Yeah, they did. I know, because the second one was entirely different. Had almost like no. I mean, yeah, it took place in Nancy's old house where the new family moved in, but Freddie was still there and trying to escape through the real world in a different way. He wasn't exactly coming to coming to him in his dreams. He was like possessing him and taking over his body. Yeah, a lot of people don't like the second one, but I feel like it's underrated. It's just it's a different beast than the rest of them. And, and once you hit part three, where it became like this huge special effects bonanza and tons of like one liners, the whole franchise went. In a, Different direction. Welcome to prime time, bitch. Ah. <laughs> You've got the body. Oh, yeah. I've got the brain. Do you remember when uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, not Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, sorry, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince did their um, Nightmare on My Street? I think it's called Nightmare on My Street. No. They did a song that was a, it was a rap song to Nightmare on Elm Street. Problem is, they didn't have the rights, and they got the shit suit out of them, so they had to hand over all that cash. Oh, those dumb bastards. Nice. Damn it, Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> what is awesome next said, list? <laughs> okay. uh, one thing I wanted to say about New Nightmare. New Nightmare did really terrify me Like when I was a kid. Like, that, I think, was the most terrifying one in the series. I like, sat with Robert in an England. empty theater, dude. Opening weekend, empty theater. I was so disappointed. Oh, you were disappointed? I was disappointed that no one else was in the movie theater with me. I was like, what the? This is, oh, this okay. is the first day. What the hell? <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, you praise this movie, and all of a sudden, wait, you're disappointed? What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, I'm very much like Donald <laughs> Trump. I'll say one thing and then meet the other. I never said I no. liked it. I never said I. my tremendous hate for this is tremendous. I promise you it's tremendous. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, 
Yeah, okay. Next. Oh, God. Yeah. It's one you mentioned earlier when I mentioned The Fly, and that was The Thing. It still grosses me out to this day. It was It was going to be between that or Nightbreed. Those ones, I cannot eat anything while I'm watching. I can watch any other movie. I can watch Hatchet easily <laughs> and still watch a fucking New York-style sandwich. But I cannot, for the life of me, watch The Thing. I mean, one, it's a John Carpenter classic, and he... Of course, you know, brilliant director, really changing everything around from the original thing film, you know, about, oh, gosh. And, and then the ending, too. The ending, I think, was what really was a cliffhanger. That I thought was great because it turns out, you know, you know, Keith, you know, with uh, the whole test, whether or not Keith David was a thing, of course, uh, it sorry, turned out. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm like, don't, don't start, don't start humming the thing music, man. I'm getting terrified now. What if this thing? What if my bike's gonna turn into the thing and eat me alive? Fucker. <laughs> it can't do. It can't do inorganic matter. That's those the rules. It can't do a bike. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay, good. That well, is one of the most paranoid movies. Those are some of the great remakes. Is when you don't know what's going on. I love those invasion movies, but they're they're not full on aliens. They're part of you, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or Puppet Masters or something like that. Um, where you cannot tell exactly what is going on. And, that, and that's what the thing is. It's an alien invasion movie. Um, and it could just be a speck, though. You can't take the creature off your neck. You can't, you know, oh, just kill it and it's gone. I mean, just a little shred of it gets on you and then becomes part of you. It absorbs you and, and changes you. I think, you know, I never really got that right. In the, in the remake, or not the remake, the prequel, they, it just basically absorbs you and uses your material to build more. Um, I couldn't tell in the John Carpenter version if it absorbs you or it uh, takes DNA from you and then replicates you. I um, I feel kind of stupid that I don't know that. I've seen this movie like 80 times. I still never got that. Yeah, I'm thinking it just like pretty much took over and replicated because you know that dog. Oh God, that's pretty, I, I, I like, see. Was, oh yeah, I know. Like it seriously, it it's like you don't see it get replicated or anything. You just see like, it come into contact with the ship and then it becomes this giant, muscular and like gross looking fucking flesh pillar. Ugh. God damn it. Everything in that movie. And then it's the, oh, God. Oh, God, like, near the end, like, when they're about to blow the place up, one of the guys that gets separated, of course, gets, he starts, like, merging his hand into his face. Oh. Like, <laughs> and then, of course, at the very end, when Kurt Russell, you know, he's testing Keith David to, like, drink the alcohol. Yeah. Keith David takes a sip, and that's when, you know, Kurt Russell realizes he's the thing, but he laughs because it doesn't matter. They're both, they're all going to die out there anyway. Wait, all gonna wait, 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 Why? I never caught this. What are you talking about? Why does he think he's what? the thing? Because he, he took uh, that whole little speech that everything they were saying up until Keith David took the drink, it was like a test to see if he was. And he ends up drinking it, and he was the thing. Oh, God, I can't remember what my brother said. Fuck, he put it so eloquently well, and so I guess, beautifully. Well, I guess you're right. I never noticed that before because if, if he was still human, he would be too paranoid, too afraid to drink from it because he could absorb some of the DNA. Um but if he was the beast, it didn't matter. He was going to consume all anyway. So what did it matter? You know, oh, I'm just tasting more of myself. Um, that or Childs has given up. Keith David's character has given up, and it doesn't matter. He gets absorbed. He's going to die. He doesn't get absorbed. He, he he's going to die anyway. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, I mean, what's the point of like killing each other out in the snow? The whole thing's been like burnt and blown up to shit anyway. Yeah, it's not so much Ugh. about them living, it's about that thing dying. You know, there is a Dark Horse sequel to this, where um, it gets out, and Kurt Russell's character is still alive, and it has to chase it down when it gets to the small Alaskan town, and before it turns into a pandemic. I, I never finished it, I only got to read the first issue, but I should find that, and I'll send it to you, um, because I heard it was great. Definitely, do so. 
right, what is next? Do so. I love what Dark Horse does. Yeah, Dark Horse is amazing. Um, let's see. Another. Okay. Now I'm gonna kind of go into like the fun, uppity kind of a, uh, uppity kind of um horse hor- uh, Halloween side. Snotty. Yeah. Of course. I'm gonna start with the classic. You know, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. How you know, you it's Charlie Brown. You can't go wrong with it. It's fun. It's cute. You know, kids are paranoid. They think something's real when it's not. You know, See, you can't go wrong with it. Line, like, everyone talks about Charlie Brown here. is bald, but I think Linus is going bald too. That kid's insane. Yeah, goddamn Linus. <laughs> I used to, okay. You know, he always has something poetic Speaking to say, but I want him to just look at Charlie Brown one day and go, I'm going to wear your face as a mask and, and praise the great pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> I expect Linus, yeah, I expect Linus to do some crazy shit as he gets, as he gets older. Oh, God. And fucking Pigpen. Goddamn Pigpen. Take a fucking bath, kid. How hard is Jesus. it, man? I know. I, seriously, like, even in an SNL parody uh, you're of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, it's called Your Rat Bastard Charlie Brown. Bill Hader's <laughs> playing Al Pacino, who's playing Charlie Brown. And Jason Sudeikis is playing um, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing uh, Pigpen. You know, and then, you know Jason Sudeikis is like, well, I think uh, the whole uh, Christmas season is overrated, Charlie. He's like, Pigpen! Yeah, what, what, Charlie? You look like shit. You smell like shit. But you're my friend, Pigpen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like they take it that far. It's like, goddamn, clean yourself, man. I remember when okay. I was a kid, the very beginning of the Charlie Brown special actually made me scared. It was the first time I think I ever felt fear. Well, hold on. Let me scratch that. The very first time I saw a commercial for Kiss costumes on television, I was terrified of Kiss. Then I was a little unnerved by the beginning of Charlie Brown. Oh, Wow. I didn't think anybody could ever be that horrified of Charlie Brown. It was three weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Pusillanimous. Oh, God. Oh, man. So, anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's really not much else I can say about Charlie Brown other than, you know, it's Charlie Brown. We get it. It's (laughs) It's wonderful. It's cute. There's a reason why it's been on television for 50 straight years, because it's awesome. Of course. And on to the next next subject. I'm going into, like, more of an action but okay, this one's like more of like the action kind of uh, uppity, not so terrifying, but still okay. very relevant. Uh, the Crow, The Crow with uh, Brandon Lee. That is almost horrible. It's it's a gothic superhero movie which has so much darkness in it. It feels like a horror movie. It's it's very close. Oh, of course, yes. I mean, it it, it also takes place on like you know pretty much uh, I think the day before Halloween. Yeah, that's well, when like, like you know everybody starts because... going out. He is dead, so technically we have a vigilante zombie. This is totally a horror movie. This is a horror movie and also has action in it. You're correct. Oh, God. You're right. Huh. I always thought of it as just a straight-up action movie. Yeah, no. Brandon Lee, of course, the son of the great Bruce Lee. May they both rest. Yeah, no. I, I thought he really did portray, of course, this major badass who's come back to take revenge on the gangsters that killed his, you know, fiance. You know, you, you see the flashbacks. They were so in love. You know, they were finally getting married. They had it in their own, like, you know, gothic way. It was visually fantastic. Oh, my God. It was straight up out of a comic book. Yeah. Uh, Alex Proyas again. does an amazing job. He did Dark City. Um, and sadly, iRobot, which he had to compromise quite a bit on. But he's got great visual eye. Oh, definitely, dude. Hands down. I mean, Dark City itself. Holy shit. I just, again, another one of those movies, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, I just can't help but love looking at. Same with the, uh, even though, you know, a lot of people hate it, but Beowulf by Robert Zemeckis. 
one day we'll end up discussing yeah, no, it also, back in tunes. Let's uh, the crow real quickly. Um, of course, a lot of people know you know he died and everything, but what a lot of people don't know is that this movie was abandoned by Paramount. They did not want to finish the movie. They were in fact, I think they were going to write it off. They were going to throw away the film and write it off for insurance oh, reasons oh. because they had so much they still had to work on. Uh, it was originally a fifteen million dollar movie. Um, and then Miramax Dimension bought it for like nothing off of Paramount and said, we'll put the money into it to finish it. So, you know, they spent another $8 million digitally compositing his face and using makeup and stuff like that uh, and cutaway shots to, ch- to finish the movie. I-, I-, I cannot imagine what it'd be like in a world where they threw away the crow. Oh, fuck no. Uh-uh. Although it spawned so many unnecessary sequels. Still... The first one was just absolutely fantastic. It should have been left there. Michael Wincott, of course, you know, playing it did again. You know, the whole gothic architecture look, something that would, something that Spawn would fit in. Yeah, Spawn you know, sucks, honestly, though. Spawn sucks. A lot, the live action film, yes, yeah, it the did, but the animated series, yeah. fantastic. You know, it's funny, but no, Michael crow... Wincott again played a great villain. I mean, crow... his voice, his attitude, wonderful. The, the sequels, I did go see the second one in the theater going, this is the darkest movie I've ever seen in my life. The cocaine is black. The cocaine is black. Oh, it's got Iggy Pop? Oh, that's not enough. The problem is the lead. They really ruined it with the lead. And, um, you know, it was originally going to be a Rob Zombie movie. It was going to be set in the future. And they had, like, $25 million set aside. They said, nah, let's skip it. Let's not do that. And then they went with this low-budget, oh, dark, shit. boring. The sequel's so boring, man. Damn. I'm glad I never saw the sequel. Yeah. I mean, I just know there were a bunch of the sequels to it. Not a lot of people remember the TV show either. Yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll, but you know what did upset me? I mean, uh, I mean James O'Barr, like you know, he created a great comic strip and series, which is what this movie was based off of. But Michael Wincott's villain name was Top Dollar. Like of all, you know, you got this great gothic, you know, monstrous-looking fucking dark environment, and then you got a villain named Top Dollar. There is that a sounds like a movie. cheap pimp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is that shit he, ernie he, hudson great supporting cast though oh yeah yeah who is the little guy he's like yes that's gank that's gank <laughs> oh t-bird oh david patrick kelly from warriors no 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 no. you know the other guy he's he's in the room where the crow bump, uh, jumps in and he starts shooting up all those people and all of a sudden he gets to the end and he's like skank and he's like i'm not skank that's gank over there you killed him oh god yeah i think the actor's name was angel david yeah that's right that's right you're quite right Aha, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, God, I can barely remember Skake. Yeah, see, I didn't care for that guy. That's how much I don't <laughs> remember him. Yeah, but no, dude, I thought Brandon, this is like, of course, Brandon Lee's final performance before he died. Uh, so, you know. I imagine what it's like if he had again. survived. What would he have been in, you know? Would he have been uh, a directed video by now? Would he be on CSI? Uh, you know, He'd have been an expendable. He would have been an expendable. CSI Seattle, would, or would he still be an A-lister? He was fantastic. Uh, I'm a huge champion of Rapid Fire, the movie he did before The Crow. Um, doesn't get enough attention, but um, yeah, definitely the crow is his coda, and it's it's his finest film. I thought, it, yeah, and it did have a pretty awesome soundtrack too. Hell yeah, like you're the crow. psychic, man. I was literally about to say that. I used to listen to that soundtrack all the time. Yeah. Oh man, there was something else I wanted to say that happened uh, during a, uh, like during. Oh uh, gosh, no. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, that's what I was going to mention. You know who originally was going to play in this movie? No. Uh, who he really wanted to have uh, the crow? Johnny uh, Depp. Johnny Depp. Okay, I can see that. Thank you for saying Charlie Sheen. James. Damn. <laughs> yeah, James O'Barr wanted Johnny Depp. I'm like, no, Johnny Depp does not have that action movie presence. I don't think he'd be, he'd have been able to pull it off. And he was also going to be originally cast as a uh, <laughs> as Jonathan Harker in Branch Liquor's Dracula. Goddamn, Johnny Depp. And he was also in the first uh, you know 
Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Oh my god, this he is was, all uh, so connected to Johnny Depp. It all means something. God damn it, Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> what else we have god on our damn list? It. And he was... <laughs> oh god. Um, okay, so how many have I listed already? You have seven. Okay, so I'm on number seven. Okay, now I'm now I'm gonna get to back into more fun stuff. This is an absolute must, honestly. And again, it's another Tim Burton movie. It's Mike. I think it's his first movie working with Michael Keaton before Batman. Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. Oh my God. As a child, yes, it did terrify me. The snake scene. Like I had nightmares about that shit. Like I dreamt I got dragged under the couch into hell. Uh, When I first saw that, I was like, uh. No, I saw this first, and I saw Tremors, and I was like, did Tremors rip off the whole worm thing? And then you realize that Children of the Corn kind of did the same special effect, and there's Dune, so uh, I'm not going to even go there. But I saw Beetlejuice the very last day it was in theaters. Back in the olden days, kids, the newspaper and movie theaters worked together to tell you when a movie was leaving, and it would say held over. When you know, Usually they'd get the movies for two weeks, and if it stayed around, they would say held over. You're like, another chance to see it. And then it would say hold over final days, or final day. And we went on the very last day Beetlejuice was showing. Oh, a big sleeper summer hit. It wasn't expected to be huge. We went and saw it, and I, it changed me. It just changed me forever because I had never seen anything so wild and creative. And I missed that part of Tim Burton. Everything else now feels like it's forced and fake and shit. True. And a lot of the stuff he's doing is based off novels and stuff. Already. You know, like there was Big Fish, and then there was Miss Peregrine's Home for Imaginary, you know, for Peculiar Children. And then there's... Alice in Wonderland, and then he also had Big Eyes. I thought he did a good job with Big that Eyes. That was great. I should say, yeah, that was great. But he, it's like he's not creating anything new or help working with somebody else to create something new. I just, I don't know. But however, mm-hmm. however, they are doing Beetlejuice too, so I'm like, he can definitely do something new with that. They can expand the world of the dead with Beetlejuice. If it you ever, know, like ever, with the ever goes into production, when the hell is it ever going to? We've been hearing this for years now. Oh, it is going into production. Yeah, they're working on it already. No, are they, they're shooting right now. They're filming. No, they're. Oh no, they got the script going, so it's a green light. Ah, blah. Wait, wait, isn't it's, it the oh, same filming. thing? <laughs> yeah, isn't it the same thing? <laughs> no, I want to see if I see everybody on the set filming, and I see that final click in the can. It's done. Then I'll say, all right, Beetlejuice Two is coming out. And usually, long-awaited sequels are a terrible idea. So we got to be very careful here, people, because look at Dumb and Dumber Two. Yikes. Goonies Two. There's, there's, there's never going to be a Goonies 2. Never going to happen. It would have happened Tron, Okay. Tron Legacy was great, though. What was? Tron Legacy was great. Oh. Um, that was great. Uh, what is next <laughs> on your list? Okay, next on my list, um, it is, uh, again, we mentioned this earlier. You did mention Bette Midler. Uh, Hocus Pocus. I don't get Hocus again, Pocus. Man. Like... I don't get the appeal. I think I had to be the right age, and uh, I wasn't. I was 16 at this time. I was full on to horror movies, and I tried watching Hocus Pocus for the first time last year. I don't get it. Really? No. I mean, come on. You know, it's, no. it's full of all sorts of wonderful stuff. I mean, yeah. you've got Batman. They're singing, dancing, about taking on old witches, zombies. I can't... Wait, who's that? It, it's like if I was an eight year old girl, I would get into it, but I'm not an eight year old girl, so I was just kind of like, eh, eh. Ouch. But no, I mean, it was very appealing. had, like, a wonderful cast of characters. Sarah Jessica Parker. You also had, um, what's his name from Saturday Night Live? He used to be in Saturday Night Live. He was also in, um, oh, my God. How could I forget this guy's name? Are we talking about Charles Rocket? How could I forget? All the... I want to say Charles Rocket. I could be right. Yeah, he played the dad. He was in that. I don't remember. Let's look it up. Everybody, now let's go to Wikipedia together now. <laughs> oh, IMDb. 
you just look it up on IMDb. No. Yeah, no. Again, it was again great visual, visually fantastic. You know, had wonderful musical numbers by Bette Midler. I'm gonna I put a spell on you. Can't go wrong with her when it comes to singing. And going through all sorts of shenanigans to make sure that these, you know, three evil witches don't, you know, take the youth of every child in the world and live forever. Ugh. Uh, I don't see anything on Wikipedia, so I'm an idiot. I should go over to IMDb. Hey, this is from the director of Newsies? Oh, I should like this a lot more than I do, but I don't. So, shit. Well, then damn you to hell. Damn you all to hell. Uh, I know people who worship the ground that Hocus Pocus walks on, and uh, they're talking about doing a Hocus Pocus 2. What? They're talking about, I'm looking at this thing right now, it's sequel bits. The new key, oh, yeah. Bad Boys 3, The Lost Boys comic book, and Hocus Pocus 2. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Charles Rock, you are correct. Doug Jones. Oh, wow. Doug Jones played Billy Butcherson? Billy. Yeah, he played the zombie. Wow, Doug Jones. That's cool. You know, Omri Katz, I thought was going to be a big deal because everything he did, I watched, except for, okay, except for this, but I was watching A Year in Indiana and uh, the Dinosaur Land, some sort of adventures in Dinosaur Land, and he did matinee, and I always thought they were great, and then he just disappeared and just spit all over the mic. Oh, it's whatever. I can't feel it. <laughs> yeah. Again, and also, like I said, it had everything that you could see in a Hollywood movie minus vampires. Well, everybody, well, they were all dressed up in costumes, but that's about it. That was weird to, uh, time, too, with uh, Disney movies or Disney-like movies where they always have these bullies. They were just like, meatheads, and they just pick on the kid for no reason. And I was like, I don't, well, I guess, yeah, that's right. That's, that's how high school was. Oh, boy. The horror. Yeah. The horror. Of course, yeah. No, but in this one, they were just like, you know, dumb, like, pothead rejects. That's what they were. Those were the bullies. <laughs> All right. What is your last selection? Uh, my last selection would have to be, uh, oh, God. I just had it right here. In, oh. It's okay. Hey, guess uh, what, everybody? Uh, uh, coincidentally, we both have to go to the bathroom. Pause! Let's all go to the lobby and take a dump in the lobby. Poop in a popcorn container. Leave a forced asshole working at the counter. <laughs> all right. And I'll give yourself a treat. <laughs> oh, don't give them a treat. That's horrible. <laughs> no, that's going to give them food poisoning. Is that, the, is that the last selection? Or we got one more, right? I got one more, and it was something... Uh, again, it's something that I did eventually fall in love with as I grew older. And of course, again, you mentioned it with Roddy McDowell before and Chris, uh, Chris Sarandon and it, oh wait, no, I lied. Scratch what? that. Huh? It, okay. Oh, well, damn it. No, now I have two more selections. Fuck. I have Just to do choose. it. Just go for it, man. <laughs> Bonus round. Okay. I'll choose. Okay. Okay. I got two more selections. One's of course, Nightmare Before Christmas, something we discussed earlier. A great Henry Selleck animated flick but created by Tim Burton. I swear, Tim Burton's just all up in this uh, damn playlist. You can't help, I can't help but talk about him. This episode was like everything by just... Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. No, not Johnny Depp. I'm sick of Johnny Depp. There's too much of Johnny Depp. They need to start seeing other people. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. All right, so yeah. we did that. And everybody, if you enjoy Nightmare Before Christmas, we just did an hour-long episode of our other show, Back in Tunes, where we talk about that movie. Yes, and of course, it is a movie that still holds up. It's definitely a Disney favorite. Uh, honestly, uh, you know, every year at Disneyland, like when it comes to Halloween and Christmas, they decorate it like Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, especially when you go through Haunted Mansion, you see like Jack Skellington and all the people of Halloween Town, you know, all decorated out in the main hallway. Oh, I really need to go there. I need my Disneyland fix. God damn it. <laughs> I've never been there. I've never been there once. It's kind of weird. Oh, my God. 
Dude, the child inside you just, you know, comes right out, and you're like, oh, my God. Dude, I think I just <laughs> left the child inside me in the bathroom. I downloaded some software. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God, damn, dude. You must have had a re- – you really had to go then. Damn. Fouls us and backed up. Jesus. It, uh, that's probably what John Wayne should have done before. Otherwise, he probably would He probably would have lived a lot longer. <laughs> what are you talking about? John Wayne. John Wayne died of not pooping? I thought he died of a backed up colon, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't pay attention to John Wayne. I'm a Clint Eastwood man. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, yeah, there's that. And then I had, uh, I did have one more. All right, so instead of 10, I got 11. Maybe. I don't know. I lost count somewhere in the way. I'm usually good with this stuff, but, you know, I was like, I got to poop, got to poop, got to poop, poop, poop. God damn it. Enough. Enough about the fucking bowel shit. Sorry. All right, enough. Uh, my last enough. choice is the turd monster. <laughs> God damn it, Michael. Dude, okay, real quickly. Uh, someone was trying to convince us to do a horror movie back around 2009. He's like, yeah, we can do it for like a couple thousand dollars. Just get a video camera. We'll be the turd. And I'm like, the what? He goes, the turd. It's like the blob, but it's a turd that expands and grows and consumes you. Oh, uh, God, shoot him. I'm sorry, <laughs> just shoot him, Michael. You don't need friends like that, Michael. <laughs> no, okay. you don't. Wolves are less Get some, get, some, get him out. Jacob, we're almost to an hour. What's our last selection? Okay, uh, my last selection, again, as I was mentioning, with Roddy McDowell and Chris Sarandon, uh, it is Fright Night. Yes. Like, it's just, I know, like, these day and age, I know it just seems so cheesy, but it still it just has so much mysticism about it, too. Oh, it's so and fun, again, and it's, it's, not, it's not really scary by the time I thought it was scary, but it's just thrilling. Horror movies aren't thrilling much anymore, you know? It just it gave you a sense of wonder. It did, yeah, I know. I was like, God, I kind of did want to know about Jerry's past, but you, hell, even in the remake, like either the original first, the like the first two movies, um, pretty much that whole, pretty much the entire franchise minus that one made to DVD bullshit that came out a couple years ago, Ugh. after the other one. Yeah, I thought all those were all very well done. I mean, the first one just you know really hit, really just hit it off. I love seeing uh, Chris uh, Chris Sarandon, you know, his presence as Jerry, you know. Really, just it really just hits you. It really does like kind of give that terrifying, you know, presence. But at the same time, you know, he was just there was just something about him. Like he had that certain attractive appeal that women, you know, loved in the movie. That you know, they ended up dying, of course. But anyway, still, <laughs> you know, there was a comic book series that lasted for a few years uh, from Now Comics. Uh, it really explores the mythology. They take on different monsters. They go on the road and try to save these people. Uh, they eventually end with them facing off with Evil Eddie, which I think the series got canceled just as they were ready to fight him. He comes back, and they're waiting this big arc, episode, issue 24, and then, uh, canceled. And then it was just, like, specials that ditched the story, or it was repeats, like, but in 3D. It was, it was so irritating for fans. And apparently there's a video game of Fright Night for, like, the Coleco or something like that, or maybe the Intellivision or something. Uh... Or for, I don't know. I mean, it was for the Amiga. Who knows? It was, it was one of those like one-off kind of games that no one really promoted. And you're like, I want to play this game. I want to fight Evil Eddie. I know. Like, oh wait, yeah, but I, it's kind of controversial because like he clearly died in the first one. You know, he got impaled through the heart. He turned back to normal, and he was just lying there dead on Roddy McDowell's floor. Yeah, and but he pulls he, it out he, of grin. his chest. Yeah, but he's still dead. Uh, I don't <laughs> he's still know. just lying there, lifeless. 
God, I feel like turning into Gene Wilder trying to explain myself with that shit from Young Frankenstein. <laughs> well, okay, so it's kind of the Christopher Lee rule, though. They would always do these things where they want completely, like, either disc, uh, decapitate him or disperse his ashes. There always be some way for him to reform, and it kind of plays on that, because the movie's kind of an homage to the Hammer films as well. Uh, so by taking it out of his chest... Uh, he was slowly allowed to heal. But you're right. At the very end, though, he does revert back to his human form. So I don't know. I feel like it, you, you might be right. It might be a cheat. Yeah, it is. I think it was just like a I think it was just like a setup for another movie. That's all I that's all I thought saw it as the yeah. red eyes glowing at the end. I wish they had you're just done so the trilogy. cool, Brewster. <laughs> you're so cool, Brewster. Um, the second one, uh, I think, is a fine sequel. I think it was uh, very underrated and destroyed by the studio because they had no money. They should have let Columbia Pictures continue the franchise instead of being greedy fucks and taking it over to their own studio when they knew they had no money to release and produce it. Uh, made on half, no, less than half the budget. I think it, the first one was $8 million, The second one was three, three and a half. Uh, they released on 200 screens with hardly any promotion, just, just a poster. Um, if Columbia Pictures had released it when they wanted to, I think it would have been a huge franchise and would have continued. We'd be seeing like Fright Night Five, Fright Night Six, you know, uh, in the '90s. Oh, definitely. I definitely would have seen something else going. I like the second one. How there was like a family uh, involved. There was like family involvement. You know. Yeah. It was. It was um, Jerry's sister who was the, who was the villain of the next one, wanting revenge, trying to turn. You know, and her ultimate revenge was trying to turn. Uh, <clears throat> Young Char- trying to turn Charlie. I've got. I can't believe I almost forgot his fucking name. Trying to turn Charlie into. And trying to turn Charlie into a vampire. But you know, something what he hates too. and wants to destroy. It wasn't just about. Yeah, that's right. She's got her. Yeah, she has her crew, and there was like a weird family atmosphere to that too. And then you, at the end, you have Peter's family going up against, or Peter, Charlie, and his girlfriend Tracy Lynn. I can't remember her character, but you know they go up against their family. It had a different dichotomy than the first movie. Uh, and I really enjoy it. It's just so low budget that the picture quality is terrible, and, and the DVD is out of print. And, and I, don't, I just don't know what happened with the sequel. But it should have been like you should have been watching Fright Night Five, and then it's like you know Peter Vincent's retiring, and uh, Charlie has to train a new crew because he wants to have a family. They should have gone. They could have gone so many directions, and it didn't. No, unfortunately, yeah, that's what happens. Sometimes the studios will just you know fuck people over. I mean, look what happened with uh, the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Yeah, or look what happened with. Uh, Oh gosh, what's the actor's name again? I want to say Michael Showalter, the one who played Swan in uh, the one who played Swan in the Warriors. Oh, I know you're talking about not Michael you know, Showalter. Act- He's from uh, the state, uh, but I know you're talking about how they killed him off like a third of the way into yeah. the movie. No, oh no, you're oh, talking about Swan? Michael Beck. Michael Beck. Michael, I see. There was a Michael involved. Yeah, Michael Beck. Like you know, just after his interview, all of a sudden Hollywood just is like, no, dude, fuck off. Yeah. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Seriously, right, he had one bad fucking movie. So that is the end of this episode. The reason I'm rushing this a little bit is we are at the hour point. We usually like to stop there. Plus, the rain's kicking in again. So check us out on Facebook under Video Night. Jacob and I do a podcast uh, called Back in Tunes, and we fill in on Video Night here and there. Um, so you can check us out on Facebook under there. Um, thank you, Jacob, for sharing your Halloween playlist. And everybody, have an excellent Fright Night. And Jacob, send us out. I'm not going to tell you namaste and good luck. I'm gonna tell you if you see some creep if you see some creepy uh, horror movie villain, you fucking you fight or fly, okay? All right. That's all I recommend. And keep running, keep fucking running, run, bitch, run!
Hey everybody, it's our biannual special for Video Night where we bring guests on and we discuss their perfect Halloween playlist. Um, I'm Michael, and on the other side here is Mindy. Hey! Um, we're going to discuss her top 10 choices for her Halloween playlist that she's going to suggest to you. Some uh, you'll know about, some you um, know and haven't seen, and then some maybe uh, more obscure and you haven't viewed them. Um, so, kind of a quicker episode of Video Night, uh, so we'll just kind of run through the list give a brief discussion about them. And uh, what's your first selection? I'll just like to say that I don't think any of these are obscure. I have very generic tastes when it comes to <laughs> Halloween movies. I don't like to be scared. Uh, I don't really like gore. So this is all pretty PG. Like try to make a point to watch in my yearly rotation. It's not that I don't right, like yeah. Reanimator or a lot of the other like you know scary stuff, but this is stuff that I will make a point to watch every year. Yeah, and so. I don't always bring on horror hounds. Um, I think I'm it, not. I was gonna say I, th I think I bring on different people. Some will. Yeah. Uh, your first selection. Hocus Pocus. Now, Hocus Pocus is one that you suggested for a 25th anniversary, and I had to admit, I had never seen it until just uh, maybe two years ago. It was one of those things that was on my radar, but I never found any interest. Even though I feel like we watched it a lot at our house, I but I was really always know. going off to watch something else. I remember seeing it when I was younger, but I don't, re you know, I, I revisited it later and enjoyed it a lot more, so I watch it every year now, but... Yeah, it is the 25th anniversary, and this, it's the only time I have ever requested a specific title to do a show on, and you shut <laughs> down. <laughs> because I didn't feel like I could do it justice. It has a huge... Uh, hocus okay, Pocus. No. So okay. that is that is very girl-oriented in my mind. Hmm, maybe. Um, there's some interesting stuff in it. Of course, I was a huge Omri Katz fan, which this is why it surprised me that I've never seen it. Um, I like the special effects. Uh, other than that, I just I think a lot of it is because they're annoying to me. It's just funny to me. It's like there's jokes that are like so not kid jokes. And I love Binks the Cat. And I love the dumb songs and the dumb jokes. And uh, who is uh, the one that Doug Jones played? The dead one. Billy. Billy. I like that character. Billy. 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 Um, and, of course, the three witches, Bette Midler. I think it's just because they seem so fully committed to the ridiculousness I that I that. think that's yeah. why I like it so much. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy and Jimmy, they're just ridiculous and fun, and I don't know. I don't and, care. And uh, Vanessa from, I can't remember her last name, but she's from uh, Hills Have Eyes, the remake. That was really good. Yes. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot her name too. Uh, this was originally supposed to be done by Mick Garris, um, but I think oh, he got. Oh really? Yeah, he wrote it, sold it to Disney, thinking he was going to direct it, but I think he got sidetracked with mm. Sleepwalkers. I could have the wrong year, mm. but I, for some reason he didn't get to direct it. Um, and I believe Kenny Ortega ended Is up directing it. I'm pretty it. sure Kenny Ortega did direct it. Isn't Mick Garris is the guy who's friends with Stephen King? Right. He was basically like stuff? his protege during the 80s. He worked uh, heavily on Amazing Stories. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of went off on his own when he did Critters 2. I see. And then he became like Stephen King's like go-to guy. He did a bunch of Stephen King stuff. Yeah. Um, that is what I said. Oh, this is Steven Spielberg. No, I said... Pretty sure it's this, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Stephen King, and if I didn't, I meant Stephen okay. King. Okay, yeah, Sorry. so he's interlinked with both of the big Stevens. Um, yeah, it, it, it's one of those movies that has such a cult following. I know everybody, like, every girl that I know either picks Teen Witch or Hocus Pocus, and if I have to give the choice, I'm going with Hocus Pocus, because Teen Witch is not a good movie. I don't understand you the know, appeal of this. You know what really, really just ruins Teen Witch for everybody? 
the it, rap? Yeah, I don't <laughs> see. I think it's an unintentionally love now because I agree. Top that, you know, it's like one of those things where it made me cringe so bad. So bad. Watch, but yeah, it's fun, but it's very, very uh, dated. But I think it's funny is that I just saw a lady at Domino's who gave me my pizza, who had a big Bette Midler tattoo on the back of her leg from Hocus Pocus. You know. You're right. Hocus Pocus really does have a huge following, but Bette Midler just has a huge following. She does. Too, this so. movie did okay. I think they were expecting much, much bigger. This is before Disney was huge, like yes. mega huge, where they're doing every movie was like clearly a hundred million dollars plus. This is yes. when they're still scrappy. Uh, your second selection is also from uh, Disney, sort of. It's from their uh, Touchstone division. So Nightmare Before Christmas. Same Watch year. Every huh. Christmas and Halloween, and many times in between. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I did not appreciate this fully in the, when it came out. I wish I had. Now, did you see this in the theater? Because I feel like you did and I didn't get to. I don't think I did. Oh. I, I, was I wish I had, though. I was fascinated from the very minute I watched it. I think I watched it twice that first day and then I rented again like a month or two later. Um, I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, a big reason why I like Oingo Boingo. Oh, absolutely. Is, you know, Danny Elfman's music so yeah. rich. It's so funny. Chris Sarandon does the voice of Jack. I know. And it switches over to Danny Elfman. I can barely tell the it's difference. It's seamless. Yeah, I know. Chris Ryan is very theatrical. He has such a huge, wonderful voice. I think he's a highly underrated actor who was big in the 80s, but just kind of faded away. You know, I just it's kind of a disappointment. Uh, we have Paul Rubens, Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara does two voices. Okay. Um, who are the three little kids? Lockstock well, and Farrell? Yes, but she does want the, the girl voice of the, them, too. Oh, right. She does the Sally. Bit. She does Sally, and she does okay, Lock, okay, Stock, and okay. Barrel, one of the voices. Um, who does the... Jack, I'm only elected mayor. Oh, I'm I an elected official. I don't know. Who nah, I love that voice. Uh, I didn't bring it up. I don't like cheating with IMDb too much. Uh, I sometimes do, but my phone's dead, so I'm going to yeah. be cheat-free. I don't remember everybody who does voices. I mean, there's yeah. so much so much good voice work there. Yeah. Um, the songs are so good. It's just, you know, there's very few films like it. And how much work they put in to make all those faces and the facial expressions. There's like a bajillion yeah, faces the that patience. they swapped out for Jack to show every expression. It's just so fascinating. And then the whole creepy oogie boogie thing and, <laughs> and Sandy Claus. Uh-huh. How they got all the names. I'm your boogie man. Oh. Yeah, is, I, is he the same guy who did the voice in Little Shop of Horrors? Did he do Audrey too? I think so, okay. but I could. I don't feel confident that yeah. that's true. Uh, huge hit Ooh, at the time, re-release. I should put that on here. Such a massive call falling. That would be a good one. Um, I remember when this came out. Um, a friend of ours, girlfriend, said that we shouldn't watch it because it wasn't very Christian. Yeah. And I was like, it, it, it's a PG animated film. Yes, I but rem- it's about Halloween. It celebrates Halloween. I don't remember anything about it except for that my friend had a a watch that came in like. Burger King kids meals or something and I was after the fact I was so so jealous that I didn't catch on as quickly as she did I was so mad now there's merch everywhere like non-stop merch but you know we've been into it since you know 94 when we saw it on video yeah, I think it took like 10 years for that really to and we in. were always hunting for stuff yeah. and like now it's yeah I wanted to uh, I wanted to play Jack on stage oh you would have been I, so good I, yeah this is when I was much thin well I'm pretty thin now but I mean just I feel like I was uh why well, but I put on like 40 pounds since <laughs> oh you're such a <laughs> um, you're still pretty. You're lean. Yeah, you're I mean, very no, I was, lean. I was extremely, I was sickly lean though. Uh, Henry Selick is the director of this one. It's produced and written by t- uh, Tim Burton, so that's how it got made. 
I think, if I remember correctly, they made Ed Wood as an agreement to just get him under their table. Hmm. Like, okay, we'll, we'll do... They really wanted Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. They really wanted that, and they wanted to start making movies for them. So they said, yes, we'll do Ed Wood. I think they did it for, like, what, $10, $15 million. It's really low budget. And the trade-off financially has been amazing because Ed Wood has been profitable now, but Nightmare mm-hmm. Before Christmas has probably given them $300 million worth of just merch. Well, and, ha- and they they almost always, now they re-release it every year yeah. at the theaters now. 3D, um, and cover. They've, and they've tunes. had so many versions that are being, I saw that they're re-releasing a new DVD version that's that has a sing-along, oh, okay. a sing-along version added to it. So it's like, there's been how many different versions of the DVD, and then... Nope. They've, they've also done a couple, I think, live performances at like, um, in LA at mm-hmm. the, I forget what it's called, the Bowl, Hollywood, oh, Hollywood, Bowl, Hollywood yeah. Bowl, even I think. Yeah, because so it's uh, really had for the a most lot part, of... Danny Elfman's retired because he lost his hearing, mm-hmm. so he'll do once in a while, yeah. which is nice. I wish Oingo Bungo get back together, but it's just not gonna happen. It's the one on my list, the yeah. the great '80s bands that I never got to see live. Uh, real quickly though, um, of the movies that Henry Selleck did and Tim Burton did, I feel like Henry Selleck is the one that really drove this movie to success. Because and he doesn't get any credit for no, it. No, he doesn't, because he did uh, James the Giant Peach. Peach. Yeah. Um, did he do Coraline? He did Coraline. Uh, he did Monkey Bone, which is highly underrated. Oh, I see. But did he do Corpse Bride? I feel like he did, but he didn't do Frankenweenie. Tim Burton did that one on his own. I'm not 100%. I don't know about Corpse Bride because I'm not a huge fan of Corpse Bride, yeah. honestly. But I had to revisit it. Um, but yeah, I just sure. feel like he's the one who really is a driving force behind the success. I mean, he got made because of Tim Burt, but Henry Selleck is serious. He did, yeah. yeah. He did all of, like, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. If you want to listen to us go more in depth, not you and me, but Jacob and I did an episode of our Back in Tunes podcast, I think three years ago, where we spent an hour just discussing one movie. So uh, you can check one that out. One Tim Burton movie? Uh, yeah, we just we went on, uh, it was our Halloween special, I think, like three years ago for Back in Tunes. Just all night before Christmas. Bastard. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Whatever. Okay. I always feel like I'm cheating on Jacob when I do a show with someone else. <laughs> What's our next I'm one? I'm your sister. That's true. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move on. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead is the movie that got me to watch zombie movies again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was Shaun of the Dead, the remake, but I feel like oh. I saw it after Shaun of the Dead. You know, I forget that I really, really do like that Dawn of the Dead. It's really excellent, but it's not something one I watch over and over yeah, again. Yeah, I caught like, it a few times. That was good. I but you know, I was traumatized for a decade or so because of Dawn of the Dead, and I saw it late in life. I think I saw it at like 19 or something like that, and it traumatized me. It was so intense. And this is just after getting over Return of the Living Dead, which I saw when I was like 14, I think. Um, some people love watching those movies very young. I know my friend Ken, he watched it when he was like three or something, which is insane. He's not messed up. I just have a problem with zombie movies. And yes, there was Resident Evil as a warm-up. Yeah, that doesn't count. Shaun of the Dead made it funny and, and you really, really cared about the characters. I don't think it's the best of the Cornetto trilogy. I still think World's End is a little bit better. <gasps> just because <gasps> where I was at in my life. Sure, that makes sense. Because, um, you know, I think we're... Well, no, no, he always plays younger. Simon Pegg's like, what, seven years, eight years older than me? I have no idea. Um, but at that time, you know, we're fairly close in age. And I could kind of feel more connection to that. But there's also that thing in Shaun of the Dead where he's just like, calls him old man. He's like, I'm 29. You know, <laughs> that a, 
<laughs> but he does act like an old man. He does. He's stuck in his ways. And, and the patterns that they use in the movie is... Uh, the, I know. It's, uh, Edgar Wright, a lot of his movies work because of the way he edits them. Yes. I agree. Yeah, I really like how... Yeah, he does... They use his, um, you know, his in, inclination for, um, you know his what's it called his you know his just his schedule and repetition and how he right just, yeah he just like he wakes up he goes to the shop he you know he goes to work he you know all this stuff is the same every day and they they utilize that in such a great yeah, way already zombies in a to way. <laughs> to introduce the zombies um without him even noticing at first because he's such a ding dong anyway is um, this the first time we saw peter serafinowitz no i don't think so i think that i that we watched um that TV show before that. Hardware? Hardware. Did we? I'm, I feel like I, we saw that. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. Um, I've, I'm a really big fan of Peter Serafinowicz to the point where I hunt down audiobooks that he narrates. No shit, really? Just so that I can hear his voice. Oh, okay. He's so good. I don't like the tick, though. I don't love the tick, but if he wasn't in it, I wouldn't watch it at all. Probably. Uh, I think I'll I'm stick with the uh, old series on I Fox. I feel too strongly. But I did watch the, the new one all the way okay. through because I really like him. You know, he does the voice of a lot of weird things. I didn't know he did Darth Maul. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> man, you have some really interesting credits, my good man. Yeah. Anyway, um, Sean, so I love that. Just the in the soundtrack. Is oh, God. That, I remember thinking that was the best soundtrack I had ever heard. Like, Well, at least since The Crow. You know, so the, the Crow soundtrack's great, but the, the Shaun of the Dead is like, such an odd, nice. eccentric music. Well, it, he uses, like, utilizes music so well with I the know. editing, you know. So um, good. The fight sequence to Queen. I know. Um, that, and uh, I'm telling you what. What is the song that um, don't... That, stop me yeah. now! But the, they're, they're literally beating the zombie with the sticks to the beat of the song, and it works so well. I know. And, I, you know, I'll tell you... I don't know how many times I've seen the movie now since yeah. it came out, but I cry every damn time. Oh yeah, and I, every and I, time. and I, uh, uh, when he has to say goodbye to his mom, it's just like so torturous. I know. It's like Bill Nye is so great in that, and he's really different than he usually plays. And um, I do love also like the little friend group, and then they oh, run yeah, in, and yeah. then they run into the other friend <laughs> the group, Freeman, and, and they, they all cross paths, Michaels. and it's like uh, they all, they all swapped buddies like yeah. from tv shows and and you know oh you were his best friend in this show and a girlfriend in this show but now they're on the opposite side and they just like cross i don't know i just thought it was really clever how they like i mean maybe if you didn't watch a ton of like british british like, comedies yeah. like how we many, did how many days would we just leave bbc one or no bbc america just on we just let's just watch spaced over and yeah. over again okay um so that one is pretty much an always appealing. I don't need to, I don't save it just for Halloween, mm -hmm. but I always like to watch it around Halloween. Okay, um, Adam's Family. Uh, we're talking the the 91 movie, mm -hmm. right? We're, okay, so we're only talking movies. What am I talking about? I, just, I didn't know if you meant the series. Sometimes we throw TV shows in, so mm -hmm. it's hard to talk to tell. I didn't the really watch okay. the show. The show's okay, but the movie, I just can't. Here's the weirdest thing, is that they're willing to spend so much money on a remake of Absam. You know, it's a show that lasted, what, one season, maybe two? And yet there was this $40 million, big, epic, wonderful-looking movie. My God, it looks so great. I think Bo Welch is the one who did the uh, the production design. 
And he was mostly known for doing really elaborate looks. He did a lot of the Coen Brothers movies and Sonnenfeld. Uh, this is Sonnenfeld's directorial debut after being the cinematographer for the Coen Brothers for years. Didn't he work in porn before that? He did. How did you know that? I know things. Maybe we read the same article. Um, I drink and I know things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know where I read that. I'm a, I really like a lot of his movies, and so I think I just read yeah. stuff about him. It's And the sad part is, is like the only way you can get a work now is you know doing another Men in Black. I don't. I love. Didn't he do a, like um, Big Trouble? Yeah, I think he went Adam's Family love for love or money. So Adam's Family Values. I, I Adam's Family Values is just as good it's as the original. As good. Yeah, it's just um, as good. I love it. And then Men in Black, and then things took off from there. And Big Troll was somewhere in the middle of all that. I'm sure it was one of his yeah. less popular. But I don't uh, care. I love it. I love it. I love it. Christopher Lloyd is absolutely amazing. It's faster. Oh, but I, I mean, who owns this is Angelica Houston and Raul Julia. And Raul Julia really, just is so oh. great that you feel their love. They're like they're crazy, passionate, demented love, and I love it. Every single second of it is phenomenal. And Christine yeah. Ritchie is great, and it, I feel bad for Pugsley because he's just okay. Well. When everybody in the movie though stands out. And you're just kind of like, okay, it doesn't help. But here's the thing, too, is, like, Christina Ricci was, like, in my opinion, like, a child prodigy. You know, she was just, like, a stellar child actor. I mean, she's still a good actor, but it's just, you know. At that age? At that age it's very is hard. what made it seem, it was made a it so impressive. A lot of child actors ruin movies. I know. It's very painful for every, uh, we were talking yesterday about Danielle Harris. Yeah. For, you got that, you got, apparently you need brown hair and to be short to be a good actress. Okay. Um, because it seems like most of the boy actors are, you know, just not good. The, the acting is just, oh God, he's really big. I was watching the original Halloween, and that kid in there is just so over the top and cheesy. And there's a slow, calm confidence in how Christina Ricci has. Like, now, mm-hmm. Pugsley, I can't remember his name, I feel bad, is so much better in the sequel. Mm-hmm. The Thanksgiving scene is just, I'm a turkey, eat me! <laughs> anyway, I just, I mean, yes, I love the first one. I don't watch the second one quite as much, but um, they're, they are both quite stellar. But yeah, I mean... Angelica Houston and Raul Julia are just like the like the per, the most perfect casting choice of all time, and their their uh, chemistry is so incredible. The dialogue, like they're the weird compliments that they have for each other, and their expression of love is just so bizarre that I love it so much. Um, my favorite line for that is "Good show, old man." <laughs> um, next thing on your list. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Say it one more time. Anybody? Anybody? No. Anybody? No. No. Right, no. Okay. Uh, I'm going for another joke. <laughs> Save that one for later. <laughs> That's, that movie is so good. We went the I, very last day. Do you remember? I think that we were just like gobsmacked by this movie. Yeah. Like we were just like, Whoa. Well, I don't even remember how we went and saw it. I, don't I feel either. like it was mom's suggestion. I think that she was. was into kind of the wild and crazy movies. We'd seen the trailer. I was what, um, I was what, then Michael, eight, nine years old? Then? Yeah, eight years old. Michael <laughs> Keaton, of course, was big in our house because we really loved him. And this is back when the newspaper would write held over in final week. They would let you know. You know how movies now seem to trickle? Just trickle, yep. trickle, trickle, trickle. There's so few screens back then that you could only hold them for two or three weeks. And I think Beetlejuice was one of those sleeper summer hits where all of that, you know, 88 was just, uh, the whole summer was run by Beetlejuice. And 
you know, that's one that everybody was talking about. Can you remember anything besides that and Roger Rabbit that anybody talked about from 88? I just can't. I was eight. I don't, re- I don't really remember that much. Fucking cocktail, jeez. I don't know why that movie is so big. Tom Cruise in the 80s was a fucking douchebag. That movie was depressing as hell. And I watched it when I was eight. Yeah. Again, <laughs> we watched a lot of movies we shouldn't have watched. Uh-huh. Um, yes, we did. Beetlejuice. They keep talking about a sequel. I don't want a sequel. Just fucking stop already. Just please. You know, I think it'd be best if they didn't do it. But if they're going to do it, I will only watch it if Michael Keaton does. Right, and Tim Burton. Just you got to get the original. It's the only way because he's just so he's so impeccable, and you know he is. I'm so glad that he's really gotten like a resurgence. I don't know how long it will last. I know he's already has some story to video stuff that's not so good. Has he? Okay, I feel like it was just that. Well, he did this movie with uh, Dylan O'Brien. Why are you talking out of the side of your mouth? It's really <laughs> disturbingly bad. It was bad because I thought it was going to be a big hit. It was in theaters. The assassin. One. Yeah, I mean, oh, like, it, it made thirty-four million dollars. Um, I think the, Lionsgate really pinned. Damn, I want to see the that. Dialogue was. Oh, shit. All right. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, but basically, he's had a resurgence, and I'm really glad because I do think that he is really, truly a wonderful actor. Yeah, and the thing about Beetlejuice is that he can do it at any age if he wanted to, because it's yeah. all that makeup and the hair. Oh. How is it that the people at Warner Brothers, when they came to Tim Burton for Batman, they didn't look at Alec Baldwin, who clearly looks I like know. Batman? Like, Michael Keaton? Uh, the guy looks like Batman. <laughs> I know, he looks sort of like, uh, I don't know. There's a darkness person. in Michael Keaton, though. A madness. Yeah. That he seems to be barely containing it sometimes. And that's what works for Batman. But, yeah. you know, Alec Baldwin might have been good as well. Um, but I feel like he might have played it jokey. I can't decide if he would have taken him to, himself too seriously in the 80s. Yeah. Or not seriously enough. True, because he did do really dead serious movies like The Juror. Now, now he has a good sense of humor. Yeah. I don't know that I don't he think he'll discover it until he started hosting SNL. And, and he, he was up on 30 Rock, yeah. Yeah, he put on a lot of I'm weight sorry. real fast. It's okay. You have to use your assets <laughs> then, you know? Uh, <laughs> but he did do The Shadow, which is a pale... It's not as good, but interesting. All right, what's the next thing on your list? Haunted Mansion. I, this one I have never seen. I know it's probably not on very many people's lists. Yeah. Um, but I think part of the reason why it's on my list is because it's my favorite ride at Disneyland. <laughs> okay. I love it so much that it hurts. This is when they're making a lot of movies out of the rides. Didn't yes. they make one out of the like, Country Bears or something like that, which isn't <laughs> technically a ride, but... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, there's another one, right? I feel like there's another movie about one of the rides. Um, isn't there a teacup, the movie, teacup no. ride, where everybody just throws up? No. <laughs> no. Uh, the Haunted Mansion, I think they were expecting it to be huge. I think it did okay. Couldn't tell you who directed it. Couldn't tell you who wrote it. No. Nope. Uh, I remember I it was in theaters for quite some time, but it wasn't a huge success. It was like one of the slow burns. Yeah. This is later day, um, Eddie Murphy. This is right when he gave up. Yeah. Haunted Mansion was the last one until, what, Dreamgirls, I think? And honestly, like, it's not a showstopper. But it's fun. Like, it's, I enjoy it. Well, I think it would be perfectly paired with Goosebumps. It feels like that kind of movie, but I've never seen one of them, so I can't really say. I really say. like Goosebumps, too. Damn it. No, I, I really liked the the new movie, Jack. Yeah, Black. the concept is really good. Uh, um, So, I mean, it's not, again, it's not, like, groundbreaking or anything, but it's a truly fun movie. I like ghost stories uh-huh. that are not I'm going to look up who gross. directed it, because I feel like that's a Barry Seinfeld as well. Maybe. Um, I really... I don't, I'm really not a Jennifer Tilly fan t- very much, but I love her in this. Oh, I didn't know she was in this. I really don't know. I think, is Terrence Stamp in it? 
Terrence Stamp is in it. I <laughs> like him. Every time I think of those two together, I think of Bowfinger. Oh. Keep Mr. Happy in his pants or something. Like that. Oh yes, I really like that. Um, oh, Rob Minkoff. Uh, God, what do I know? He did a bunch of Disney movies, like the animated stuff, right? Didn't he do Lion King? I don't know. I'll look him up right now. And I, a very strange, a surprising choice, Marsha Thomason played his wife. Which might have been her first thing. Might have been. I think it was before yet, before she even yeah. did... Um, Vegas and they took Vegas, her off, which I thought TV was bullshit. Vegas. I never finished it. I think yeah, it I'm trying to right now. Okay, so before that he had done Lion King. He had done some of the Roger Rabbit cartoons, Stuart Little, Stuart Little too. Okay, so that makes sense. Forbidden Kingdom. Flypaper. Uh, made fourteen thousand dollars in the theater. It is actually really good. He directed that. I have no idea what that is. I'll have to it, look it up uh, later. Yeah, it's a uh, Patrick Dempsey in a uh, bank heist movie. Oh, I love bank heist movies. Yeah. Oh my god. All right, what's the next on the list? I love heist movies. Are my they're favorite. so much fun. Have you ever done an episode on heist? Movies? No, we haven't. Because we're we're doing idiot heist movies in favorite. December, where everybody's a moron, like Safe Men and uh, Masterminds <laughs> and stuff like that. But you know, there's so many great ones with uh, legit like good. Logan thieves. Lucky. I haven't seen that one yet. I know. Please watch it. Okay. Please, please, please. It was the most surprisingly joyful movie I've seen. Oh, good, good. It was like so filled with joy. Okay. Um, Monster Qu- Squad seems like it needs to be on it my has list. To, it's for like a requirement. All time. Yeah. I mean, you remember renting it, and Ugh. I think I watched it more than you did, but in 24 hours, I watched it four times. I don't know how many times we watched this as children, but it was a lot. It was hard to find, remember? For a while there, we rented it a few times. But then we couldn't find it for almost a decade. I found a used copy at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we wore that out. Um, No, no, no. I ended up selling it on eBay when I was desperate for cash. When I found out it was worth like 70 bucks. Dang, that's pretty good. And then I think we had a German bootleg DVD for a while. So So did the German bootleg not call him the crazy German guy? Oh, probably not. Did they just call him the crazy guy? I I think it was the same movie, just in widescreen. Because you couldn't get it in widescreen. It wasn't on DVD. The rights were lost. Because Vestron sold their catalog to Lionsgate, but I'm not sure if they actually had the rights because it was Keith Barish and Taft that owned the rights. Uh-huh. The way they did with Running Man, I don't know what happened, but it just took forever for some stupid reason. And then when it did come out on DVD, it became such a massive seller that it became like a, a regular thing. Like every year they would air it um, you know, in theaters. You know, do the little road show. Now they're doing documentaries about it. It's... I think I have two copies on DVD somehow. Uh, oh, yeah, I think we have it too. Actually. I also have two copies of Dutch. I think I'm just frightful for, for, yeah, for all was... of time that these movies will not exist again. Uh, I wrote a sequel to Monster Squad when I was a kid. Oh, that sounds like you. Yeah, just yeah. That I wrote sequels to Young Guns and Monster Squad two. Movies do you remember and... all those like fake commercials and stuff we used to record doing? We were really weird. no, I don't remember that. We would. I don't remember what they were. We would record ourselves doing a lot of dumb things. So yeah. I guess this is really it was just a precursor for this. Yeah, kind of. I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, it's there's so many quotable things. I'm not gonna go too far into Monster Squad because that's something. That no, that's okay. It's just it's it's a generational thing. It's not. A great movie. No. Ba- based on, like, if you're a, a critic of film. Yeah. Who, but it's just, it's like a timepiece. Boy, the 80s were homophobic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it was also, like, so much imagination in it. It was, it was a love letter to all those great horror movies. And it's never going to happen again. No. There's no way that Universal will ever license out those characters again to another company. Um, I really loved the little girl. I loved the, her her weird relationship with Frankenstein was like her best friend. Yeah. We're and, so sad. I, I remember know. being so incredibly sad. Like if I watch it enough I can change the ending. That's not how that works. And then I also really like the Wolfman. 
What was oh, name? John Grease, yeah. Who we'll played a werewolf again the next year? I just can't believe like we've he's been you know he's been acting for so long. And when I was watching, you know, now it's been years since Napoleon Dynamite came out, and I was like, dude, is that the guy from the Monster? Oh Star yeah, like Rico or something. Yeah, Uncle the, Rico. Jeez. I, I just remember like certain things that would just amaze me, like. Uh, that I, that I, I just wrote her site. Like, I find myself in the back room sometimes where someone won't do something I want them to, and I'll go, Do it, or we're all gonna die! I just want the little screechy skeleton in the background. It's so quotable. I'm just like, Wolfman's got Nords, and. My name is Horace. Is she a version? I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> So good. Um, yeah, we watched that a lot. A lot. What? I forgot this, but I worked at Target. I worked with someone who um, was really high strung, and she required that we just follow everything to the book, and there's one day that me and Chad forgot our name tags. I don't know how we both forgot our name tags, but she goes, who are you guys? And I go, we're the Monster Squad. <laughs> Almost spit my water and and I danced all over the floor, and everybody's looking at me like, "What the hell's going on?" And I go, "I've been waiting thirty fucking years to say that." <laughs> nice. I'm glad you could live out that dream. Okay, on to number eight. Alright, what's this? Fright Night. Fright Night, uh, my favorite horror movie of all time. See, it goes well with Monster Squad, honestly. It really does, and I purposely am not gonna say one or the other. Although, I, I mean, I do think I like the original better, but the the remake was actually quite it's good. It's great. Now, the it's remake really... to part two is terrible because yeah. it's actually a remake to part one again. See, I, I won't watch it because I don't understand the point. Yeah. Like, it, there it just, is... Well, they combined one and two for that one. Yeah. So we have the 89 sequel where it's Jerry Dandridge's sister. Who, oh, thank you. You don't like the second one? Not really. Oh, I love it. But then for some reason they take her the female Jerry Dandridge or whatever, and they put her in the Friday Night 2, they shoot in Romania. They, it's the same exact movie, with just little bits and pieces they picked from part two. It's it's very strange and a waste of time. I don't it's understand really what the hell. I was a huge fan, um, so much so that I bought all the comics, mm -hmm. which are always kind of subpar. Yeah. And, and now um, the original writer-director, Tom Holland, has done a prequel series with Jerry Dandridge, not Jerry Dandridge, sorry, Peter Vincent. Oh, cool. Uh, when he was younger. Nice. Which I'm not sure if that makes sense, because if it's about him fighting monsters when he was younger, I don't know the story, so I had to look into it. That one makes sense for what happens in, <coughs> happens in the movie, you know, because then he's just like completely, oh, this is all fiction, there's no way there could be monsters. So I'm curious as to where he's going with the story. Yeah, I'd have to like actually see that to understand how it fits in the plot line. I want to see stories post Friday Night 2. I want to see Jerry, um, I'm sorry, I keep saying Jerry Dandridge, uh, so Peter Vincent getting older, and mm -hmm. he can't do it anymore. And then him and Charlie have to start building a new team. And then Charlie becomes the leader, the trainer, or whatever. You know, and it's like his own Scooby gang, I guess, in essence. And they take on different monsters. That's what they did in the comic book. Is, you know, he would take on alien monsters. He would take on werewolves and ghouls and mummies and stuff like that. And that was a lot of fun. And that was before anything like Supernatural ever attempted it or Buffy. So every episode or every issue was a new monster. Hmm. And it was really great. The art always sucked. And now comics went out of business and all their stuff is lost. If you want to go find them, you're going to have to go get the actual physical copies. Um, I'm just thinking. Oh, okay. I'm thinking about the re the original compared to the remake. Their um, stuff... I was just thinking about Evil Eddie. He's so much better in the remake. He just is. He's, He's... really... Like, I really think that... 
Evil Eddie and also the girlfriend are really kind of annoying in the original. Yeah, the relationship in the in the the remake is so much stronger. Now, is that version of Evil Ed anywhere nearly as iconic as Stephen Jeffrey's performance? No, because Stephen Jeffries gives it his all. Yeah, and it's sad that Amanda Beers wasn't allowed to come back for the sequel. I still don't understand. Maybe it was because it was a scheduling conflict with married children. Hmm. Tracy Lynn's fine, but yeah, I was weirded out that she wasn't part of it because all that stuff they go through seems pointless. How's come when she was the va- when she was momentarily turning into a vampire that her hair grew a foot or I two? I don't know, and she had a very large chest. She said she had to wear a plastic chest or something like, to make her boobs huge. That's very confusing. Yeah, that's I mean, weird. there's some there's some like confusing continuity type things that I don't love, but yeah. it was the '80s, you know. Special effects aren't rad, but no, but it also still holds it, up as a pretty good movie. That's when slasher films were starting to fade out a little bit, and they started going for the phantasmagorical, you know, the yeah. rubber reality kind of stuff that Nightmare on Elm Street brought back. But then all of a sudden, you have Tom Holland going, "Look, let's bring back the classic monsters. Let's give them an update." Mm-hmm. It worked with Halloween and American Werewolf in London a few years prior, but for some reason, vampires are just left on the floor for years. And then you got that, you got. Uh, Lost Boys, Monster Squad, you know, basically bringing back all those classic Monster Waxworks, which is highly underrated. You know, I don't even know if you've ever even seen Waxworks, now that I think about I'm it. I'm making that face because I haven't. Oh, yeah. Um, Didn't they make a remake that was really bad? Uh, it was a sequel, but I don't remember them being a... You're thinking of House of Wax. I am thinking of House yeah, of Wax. Yeah, Waxworks is Zach Galligan. He goes to this wax museum. I haven't invited. seen it. Uh, Which got, surprises me, because we were huge Zach Galligan fans. Yeah, um, and the sequel's great, too. Bruce Campbell's in it. He's hilarious. Um, all right, what's next on your list? 1408. 1408. Um, this is the only, like, semi-serious movie on Yeah, the list. Uh, huge Stephen King fan. This one's fine. But this one seems like the safe studio one. Yeah, no, I get that. A lot of Stephen King's movies were bombs. Yeah. We love Silver Bullet, but it was a flop. Oh, why didn't I put that on the list? Uh, Dang it. Um, and a lot of them were clumsy. Children of Corn was a huge hit for a small studio. For a small studio, if Warner Brothers released it, they would say it was a bomb. Um, it cost like $900,000 and made fifteen. But it's a terrible movie. A lot of these are terrible maximum overdrive. Shit. Just garbage. Mm. Highly entertaining garbage, but garbage. 1408 is a legit film. Great actors, great direction, great production values. Released in the heart of summer as counter-programming to all the big, you know, superhero and, you know, action films. Mm-hmm. And it works. And a lot of it is because of John Cusack. It just works because his yeah. frenetic... There's something unique about John Cusack, and that's why he was a lead for so long. I don't know what's going on now. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I think that's part of the reason why I like the movie so much, because John Cusack was my favorite actor for... Yeah. I gross point blank on your wall. 20 years. Say anything, yeah. 20 uh, years. Got off dead, you know, so much. And this was... It, yeah, this is his first horror movie. He's only done a couple others since. Or just creepy films. Yeah. Uh, Cell was a huge light down because it reteamed the people from 1408. So what I think is appealing about 1408 is a couple of things. One, I like a I like haunting stories. I like a good scary story. Yeah. You know, haunted places, with the exception of I don't really want to see a haunted movie take place in a mental institution because those are the scariest ones. Yeah. In the session whole. nine. Session 9 is still, to this day, I, I honestly would say the scariest movie ever. Yeah, it's pretty rough. For my mental yeah. capabilities. Oh, uh, well, my thing is Blair Witch. I can't rewatch Blair Witch. I'm only, uh, I mean, not just because it makes me nauseous, is because it's something have, about the sounds, the yeah. use, the, the not seeing things. Yeah. It just disturbs me. But that's what, nine, that's what Session 9 did. Yes. But 1408 finds a way to do both. So, 
it, yeah, and and the other thing is, to me, I feel like this is this that's John Cusack's. Um, uh, what, what's that movie with Tom Hanks where he's on the island or whatever? Castaway. This is his Castaway. Yeah, it's him in a room, nothing to work off of except for his own talent. In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he gets more breakaways because, I mean, story-wise, he gets breakaways because of Samuel L. Jackson. Right. And, uh, I can't remember her name. She was in uh, Private Parts. It's the only thing I can remember from, but. Um, Mary something. Yeah. Mc- I was seeing Dickie Roberts. Yeah. Mary <laughs> um, McCormick or something yeah, like something that. Like that. Yeah. So there's a little cutaways for there. There's some movies where they just don't have anything to cut away to, like Buried with Ryan Reynolds. I still have never seen that. It's it's good, but it's it's kind of like you got to have serious patience. Where fourteen oh eight doesn't test your patience. Yeah. Um, so basically, he's a writer who who writes books about haunted places, and so he gets sent. You know, go, this is his next place, this hotel, which is you know supposedly whatever, and he's a skeptic. That's yeah. the thing is, I don't think that anything he has ever written, he's all bullshit he's he's well known for writing these haunted whatevers but it's all bull until you know so he finally go he goes to this place to to see it he d- is incredibly skeptical and his experience there completely changes him so it's just i don't know he i, I don't know we're right what's going on from the last few years but i he's fantastic in this movie and it's like I like more suspense, yeah. haunted yeah. stories. What I've been trying to figure out is there's this thing that he does with his new movies. I, and it's weird when this happens. 1408 was a big hit, but his biggest hit was 2012. Not critically loved. And, and in fact, he might be the world's worst dad in a disaster film because <laughs> it's written so poorly. But it was huge. Mm-hmm. And immediately after that is when everything went wrong. You know, the Raven didn't well do well. The Factory went straight to video. The Numbers Station went straight to video. I haven't seen any of these movies. Yeah, see, it's just like all these movies with potential, and they all went straight to video or barely released. Well, I think the, what it was for me was I saw, uh, like, Paperboy. Yeah. And oh, it, that's, God, that's a rough movie. It, I think I was just so... He, he just, but he's great in the he's, Brian, he's the Brian done, Wilson. Oh, he's absolutely fantastic See, I thought that was going to save his career. But all of a sudden, after that, every movie he does, he's wearing a hat, shade, a shades, and a black shirt. And I think I understood yeah. why. I thought maybe part of it was because he was aging or he was embarrassed to be in the movies. I, I think know. I know what it is. They pay him for three weeks of work. Huge money. Yeah. But he only works one. Because his stunt double can do the rest. Yeah. Think about it. If he's wearing a hat and shades, it's so easy to find a stuntman to cover for him. Yeah, do it, be a I don't know. It's the Wesley Snipes thing from Blade Trinity because he only showed up for a couple weeks apparently. It really makes me sad because I really think that he's one of the gr- – he was – one of the greatest yeah. actors. He's throwing away his life. So I don't know likeable. if he's working on something. Maybe I don't he's doing know. charity, but because uh, it seems like it's just a waste. Dude, here are please get your head out your butt. <laughs> yeah, just okay. save it. I'm, my last one is not a movie, but an ode to my true devotion to Bob's Burger. <laughs> okay, so every year start... are those the notes for the episode? Yes. Wow, interesting. Go ahead. They have done a Halloween episode every year since season three. It is always the second or third episode of the year. Okay, kind of like The Simpsons. Yes. Um, no, they're just... I just made some brief notes because I couldn't remember, like, the names of the episodes or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, I, it, I think Bob's Burgers is one of the best shows ever. It's great. I, I did not want to watch it. The first episode was so ugly. I know. It, but all of a sudden, I just locked into its mythology. Its yeah. world that it builds is insane. The... The characters are just so charming. The they're so ridiculous. The uh, the the random references like just speak to my heart, <laughs> my weirdness. Yeah, and it's but weirdness. but it's not like Family Guy with the references where they no. cut the story up. No. I, I don't feel like there's a plot to Family Guy. 
I feel like it's just bits and pieces like that they stitched together. Bur Bob's Burgers is so well planned. Are they written by the same? They're two sisters, right? Am I, or am I thinking of a different show? Or two sisters write the entire series? No. no? Okay. No, then I don't think so. Huh. A, not sure who the okay. writers are. I th I thought that the guy who did the voice of, um, the mom, was one of the writers. Okay. Look it up in your yeah. magic magicness. I don't know. Oh, but, uh, uh, Lauren Bouchard, I believe, is the one of the guys who brought the show out. I and, think and so. And he's the guy behind home movies. But go ahead with the Halloween episode. Sorry. So, I don't know. Like, there's some incredible episodes. And one of the 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 most fun part about the episodes is wondering how what, what Louise will come up as a Halloween costume. <laughs> Every year, it's like, what is she going to do? And, um, like, the first year is when she dresses up like Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> except for it's, like, not scissors. They're, like, hedge trimmers or something. She's Edward Do you remember hands. there was uh, an episode of The Critic where he was Edward Plunger Hands, and he's just sucking on the toilet, and he's just like, Someone kill me. <laughs> I don't really like the critic either. And I don't think I was too young to yeah. appreciate that. Um, I probably would appreciate it now. Um, where they go over to that island where, the, like, the fancy people live to do trick-or-treating. And do you remember this? Uh-uh. I've only seen the first season. And I they kind of, like, get stuck. It's funny. See, there's no Halloween episodes until season three. Okay. Okay, and then... There's another episode where um, Tina thinks that she finds a ghost in the basement of the restaurant. And she puts him in a box and starts taking him around as her ghost boyfriend. Nice. And they have a serious relationship. <laughs> and then, for some reason, Tina, who has no shame ever, takes her boyfriend in a box to school and starts telling everyone about him. And first they make fun of him or her about it. But then somehow... The girls start like fighting over this ghost oh, boyfriend nice. in a shoebox, and it just gets crazy. Uh, so so funny. Um, the best one might be in season six when it's called the Hauntening. When Louise, who is, I mean, if you're familiar with Bosburgers, you should be. She's kind of psychotic. She's like an evil genius child uh -huh. who is. Is she the oldest one? No, she's the youngest okay, one. Okay. And so she's um she's never been scared before she says tells the whole family she's never truly been scared and so it's the the family has a, a it makes it their personal goal to scare the shit out of her uh -huh. and keep in mind she's like nine okay but she's a little shit so they decide they're going to scare her and then they put together this entire haunted house to scare the crap out of her nice. and it's really funny um and then I think the most recent year, um, this last season, season eight, was my favorite costume choice, which I believe was a combination, a brilliant combination of the guy from There Will Be Blood. Okay. Wait, is that the one in the desert? Daniel Day-Lewis? No. I'll the, drink your show. What's the other one with the guy with the weird hair? Um, not there. It's... Oh, uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. Yes, that one. It's Yes, it's No Country for Old Men. Okay. And I believe that she mixes it with the um, Ryan Gosling character from Drive. Okay. <laughs> it's like some psychotic blend of the two psychotic nice. characters. I don't know what this child is thinking. That's the <laughs> whole point. That's part of her charm. She's psychotic. Anyway, they have just 
you know, yes, it is very similar. It's kind of similar to the, the Simpsons and how they have a Halloween episode and it's a big deal every year. Yeah. But I do think that there is a, a cleverness there that far exceeds Yo, the Simpsons. The difference is the Simpsons are just doing parodies of movies you already know. Yes. Like their own twisted versions. They of don't it. do that. Bob's Burgers creates their own no. world. Okay, that, yes. that, that's actually better. Bob's um, Burgers, I mean, obviously they reference lots of things and they tie in things. But you're right. They're not just doing random jokes that pieced together into one episode. That's the problem. They're Simpsons, telling stories. Simpsons and South Park, they go on forever because they're just doing whatever's being talked about at that moment. Yeah. But they're not really creating a world the way that Boss Burgers does. Yes. No, I agree. They are building a world because there's a lot of love for their community. They, mm. you know, there's lots of like, you know, local business owners near them. They have their psychotically weird a landlord who is played by Kevin Kline. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was saying. He's kind of the Lex Luthor of the show. Hilarious weirdness ensues when mm -hmm. he like needs, uh, needs the wife to pretend to be his wife, <laughs> and borrows the whole family to pretend to be his children <laughs> to impress an old girlfriend. It's so weird. Uh, you could jump in any episode of Bob's Burgers and find enjoyment, but they really have pretty solid Halloween episodes. So that's why I mentioned so many. So, right. fantastic. So that is it for our list here. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for being the guest on this. And check us out on Video Night on Facebook and Twitter. Actually, no, I'm sorry. On Twitter, we're Retro Rock Entertainment, which is the main 